We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. And do we have some things to talk about today? I mean, out of all of the four losses we've had so far, this has to be by far the most disappointing loss, just because this is a game we easily should have won against the Vikings at home, them going on the road with five defensive starters injured, and we still managed to lose this game. We have some, we have some things to go over. Um, I think number one, we, we kind of have to just talk about the Chargers as a team in general. And like, I, I brought this up in at least like three or four of my last couple of videos. You know, the Chargers are not elite. They're not great. They're good. And I said this in my last video, even after coming off this Eagles win, where we only won by three against an Eagles team, right? This Eagles team, we only won by three. I said they were a very good team, not elite, not great. They weren't with the Titans, they weren't with the Bills, and they're definitely not on the Bucks or Packers or that level. And, you know, I had people in the comments tell me, like, you know, you don't know what an elite team is. Every team has had a bad loss. Every team has, you know, has been blown out or, or lost to a bad team. But, yeah, I agree. But those teams have also shown consistency in-game instead of this kind of erratic type of play that the Chargers have had. And it not only stretches from just the offense, but it's in the defense as well, where now we're seeing that the run defense is slightly improved, but the pass defense is not, is not there. Like it's not where it needs to be. And for Brandon Staley defense, you know, to have be built around stopping the pass, which I'll get into just in just a little bit for them to allow that many yards in the air and for Justin Jefferson to have that kind of a day is, is really disappointing to see. But like I said, the main takeaway is the Chargers are a good team. That's it. They're, they're a playoff contender. I don't see them being Super Bowl contenders this year, unfortunately. Let me put it to you this way. Before this game, you were 5-3 and three with a negative 2-point differential. If you have a winning record with a negative point differential, what does that tell you? That either tells you we're overachieving or we got lucky in a lot of one-score games, or both. That's, that's pretty much what's happening. The best example is the Browns from last year, right? They made the playoffs, but they had a negative point differential. Right now, we're five and four with a negative nine-point differential. You know, and obviously, most of those points came from the Ravens game, 
but still, if you're if you have a winning record with a negative point differential, then you're you're probably not as good as your record indicates. Like like the Patriots, six and four, they've scored two hundred seventy five points and only allowed one hundred seventy seven. So they, they they pretty much have a plus ninety eight point differential. That is a good team. That is a team I would believe in that they can make the playoffs and potentially make a run. Five Chargers are five and four with a negative nine point differential, right? Other teams like the, the Raiders, they're five and four with a negative 20 point differential. They're not a good team, but a team like the, the Bengals, five and four plus 33 point differential. I can kind of get behind that, that they, they know how to put up points and they know how to, you know, kind of stop other teams. But the Chargers, like I said, five and four negative point differential. Things just are not looking good for them right now. Do I think they're trending downwards? No. Do I think some of the mistakes they've made in the past four weeks are fixable? Yes, like these are fixable things that can be coached, taught, implemented, strategized, you know, game planned for. But right now, the Chargers are not in a good place. And I, I'm just going to like, I have some stats that I want to read off that I think just resemble what I'm trying to say. So the Chargers, like I said, predicated on stopping explosive passes. So, you know, an explosive pass can be defined as any pass that gains 15 or more yards. Brandon Saley's defense with the Rams last year, number one in least explosive plays allowed through the air. Yesterday, Vikings had 10 plays of 15 or more yards through the air. So they had 10 explosive passes, which, like I said, for Brandon Staley-led team is, you know, kind of unacceptable. And look, I'm all for, you know, understanding that injuries play a part in everything, but I do, I absolutely do not want to hear any Chargers fan talk about injuries in this matchup none because i'm not going to give any reason that the chargers lost to injuries because the vikings were without daniel hunter michael pierce anthony barr patrick peterson and harrison freaking smith five of the top six guys on that defense were out yesterday and they held us to 20 points now i'm going to show i'm going to show a clip just a little bit later in the video showing something that I've noticed in Justin Herbert, which is kind of concerning, but for those five guys to be out on the Vikings defense and to only hold us to 20 points while, while we're at home and almost fully healthy, except, you know, two guys on the offensive line is not good. And for the Chargers to allow 10 explosive passes yesterday is, is not good. I understand Michael Davis is out, but I mean, you could have, you could have found like, there should have been a way to, to kind of like slow down Justin Jefferson. So that, that was something I wasn't too happy about. Um, I mean, the Chargers did do somewhat decent against the run, only allowed a negative 0.017 EPA per rush allowed, um, which is a step up than what it's been in the past. You know, in, in the past couple of games, they've actually had, you know, teams rush for a positive EPA per play or EPA per rush against them. So it's, it's good that, you know, they, they've kind of made improvements in that area. But again, like the Chargers should have won this game. The, the Vikings had 10 penalties for 118 yards. And this goes back to the explosive passes. The Vikings got backed up multiple times on the game-winning drive, yet they still have found explosive play after explosive play. And honestly, it's it probably due to, you know, Thielen and Jefferson just being better than our corners. But again, like there should have been a way to negate that. Like there should have been a way that you, you should be, we should try to be forcing them to win with KJ Osborne or Tyler Conklin or some of their other guys, like implementing like a Bill Belichick strategy. And so, you know, that, that, that was another stat, 10 penalties for 118 yards for them. And they still won the game. We forced um, 20, 
dollars. We forced 21 pressures. They only forced 11. Like we won the trenches game. We were winning in the trenches and we still couldn't come out with a win. Um, that was disappointing that even though our pass rushers were getting there, just like we couldn't, couldn't make a stop or any get or our coverage let us down, not our defensive line. And so again, the NFL is a week to week league. The first couple of weeks, it was the secondary that was playing amazing or not amazing. The secondary was holding up and it was the pass rush or the D line that wasn't doing their job. Now it seems to have flip-flopped after Justin Jones came back and Michael Davis goes out. The secondary is letting us down time after time again. And this D line is, is the one holding up and, you know, being somewhat sturdy um, against the run. And lastly, obviously the three drops, that's huge. Can't have three drops in the game. And all of them were in crucial situations where, you know, the feel, I feel like the Chargers could have got points. And the last point I want to bring up about this game is that the end of the first half drive where the Chargers got the ball at the 50-yard line, yeah, the 50-yard line with a minute to go, you have to put up points there, especially when you're losing by three. If you have the – if your defense gets you the ball at the 50-yard line and you don't put up points there, you only get four yards on three plays at the end of the half, something's wrong. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the play calling or player execution. At this point, I think it's just a mixture of both that, like, you know, Joe Lombardi, I'm, I'm not going to, I could do a whole nother video about him, like giving my opinion on him. I don't think he's been horrible the last couple of weeks, but you know, the players aren't executing drop passes, mistimed routes. It seems like every play is coming down to like one or two seconds on the play clock. Like the, you know, they're not getting set in time. They're the play calls coming in late. There's no, and the whole idea of like tempo and we want to keep the defense off balance. I just don't see it. I haven't been seeing it. So um, that's going to take me to this clip that I wanted to highlight. So one of the weaknesses and things that I'm a little bit concerned about for Justin Herbert is it doesn't seem like he's he's able to make a lot of pre-snap reads very well. It's not it's not a trait that he developed in college, especially in the Pac-12 where, you know, he was just running a lot of no huddle stuff. He never really saw these exotic fronts like you see in the NFL. And the problem to me is I think Joel Lombardi and, and the rest of the coaching staff are expecting him to be able to make these reads pre-snap like he's Drew Brees, but he's not Drew Brees. He's a second-year quarterback out of Oregon. And, you know, the Pac-12 isn't notoriously known for defenses like the SEC, so you don't see these type of pro-style defenses. And, you know, in the past four weeks, Belichick, Martindale, and Mike Zimmer, three of the best defensive minds in football, have been able to just disguise their looks pre-snap. And you'll have plays like this, where they're in nickel, and they have their two line two linebackers on the A gap. So they're threatening to just, you know, send six and the rest play coverage. But what actually happens is the two linebackers drop out and no one's open. Like who's open here? And you know, you can look at the this was, I believe, the the first and 10 on the 50 that I was just I was just talking about. And so when these guys bail out, you know, who's open? I guess guidance, you could take guidance there, but no one's really open. And it's those quick game type concepts that the chargers are trying to run. They're trying to force the same system on Justin Herbert. And I, I just don't see it. I just don't. And so, you know, as much as, as, as efficient as the saints offense was during Drew Brees's prime during the height of his powers during 2018, when he had one of the best seasons of his career, it's just, it's not an offense that I feel like Justin Herbert can run at this point because he doesn't have the pre-snap like he doesn't, he's, I don't think he's able to diagnose things pre-snap like Drew Brees was. And, and 
if we go back to the clip I was just showing you, these exact looks are what teams are showing. It's these cover zero looks where they bail out at the last second, or they send one or two, send a stunt somewhere, and he, you know, no one's really open. The reason Herbert did so well against the Eagles is because they don't disguise at all. Like they have one of the most vanilla defensive schemes in the NFL. So when Justin Herbert, all he has to do is, you know, if they're not disguising anything, he's going to shred them. That's a good thing. But when they do disguise and, you know, some, it's not really something that you can really see in the data. It's a film thing. Um, when they do disguise their looks, he just doesn't perform well. And I think that's partly because they're asking him to do a lot. Um, you know, the next thing I want, I wanted to talk about some, like just some of the passing maps, like this, this passing map, you know, the, the average depth of target is not, is not something I'm too concerned about. Obviously they, they actually didn't have a single pass travel more than 20 air yards. So, you know, you can do, you know, do whatever you want with that information. Um, the Vikings could just be trying to limit those explosive passes. But what I'm more concerned about is this, all these passes on the right side, and it's not, it's not Justin Herbert only being able to throw to his right side. It's the whole idea of the quick game concepts that the Saints used to run, where it's just a small one, one step, three step drop, drop back. And they hit a guy on an RPO look like Justin Herbert had so much success yesterday on those RPOs, on those play actions, where they got him in, got him um, outside the pocket and in, you know, in rhythm, but they, they seem to try to make him a pocket quarterback and it just didn't work out um, as well, you know, especially for a defense down five starters. This is the type of game plan that they had, the type of passing map that they, you know, end up with. It's not, it's not something that's too, um, too encouraging to see. And then finally, this is a, a passing map, like a heat chart for, for what the Chargers receivers run and where, what the Saints receivers ran in 2018 and 2019. As you can see, there's a ton of um, routes that are run within zero to 10 yards uh, outside of the hashes. So a lot of spot concepts, a lot of slants, a lot of you know digs, drags on both the left and right side. But the difference is the Saints, the Saints offense targeted the middle of the field at a high rate because Drew Brees can make those throws. I believe Justin Herbert can make those throws. And I just, I think the Chargers are, are the Chargers know that Justin Herbert can make any throw in the book. But I think there's what I am struggling to understand is they're forcing him to make those difficult throws. And even though he can make it, it's a difficult throw. So the, obviously the probability that it completes the pass, that it's, it goes for a positive play is much lower than if they target the middle of the field, which traditionally has a higher EPA, um, you know, attributed to it. So, you know, I want to, hopefully the last half of the season, we get to see some of these, um, you know, middle of the field concepts come, come to life little more play action here and there. But I mean, overall right now, there isn't a ton to be excited about, honestly, with the Chargers offense. And it, like I said, the Eagles game was great. Obviously props to Justin Herbert and Lombardi for a good game plan there. But like I said, the Eagles don't have a super complex scheme to diagnose. So if Herbert can beat terrible schemes, great. But if he can't beat good defensive minds, he's not going to do well in the playoffs. And that that's just a fact. So that, that's going to determine whether or not the Chargers are Super Bowl contenders this year. I personally, like I said, playoff contenders at best, they have to make the playoffs first. They have a pretty like relatively easy schedule going forward, but they have to take advantage of every game. And that starts with this weekend. Um, let's just go over the Steelers real quick and then we'll head out of here. Steelers right now, 23rd best offense in the NFL. You know, I don't care if they have big Ben or Mason Rudolph, this offense is not good. You know, Najee Harris, he's okay. 
But if anything, you know, like that offensive line isn't that great. Kevin, I just got the news that Kevin Dotson is going to be out um, this weekend. So, you know, that offensive line, which wasn't the best, just got worse. So got to take advantage of that. Keep the Steelers behind the sticks, force them to throw the ball because if they get run, if they're just going to run the ball the entire game, the time of possession thing is going to be in the Steelers favor. And by the way, personally, I don't really care about the time of possession thing. Um, I never played football. I'm just a football nerd. I just look at data and stuff, right? Obviously, and I'm kidding, but I understand how fatigue works and how, you know, if a defense goes on like an eight minute drive, lets up a touchdown, and then the offense goes three, goes three and out, it's tough on the defense to really get back in rhythm, um, you know, on just a short, on just a short rest. So, you know, you don't really want to let the Steelers control the clock as much from a, you know, men, from a physical perspective, the data doesn't really support that time of possession has any correlation with winning or EPA or things like that. So yeah, so Steelers, not a really good offense. They're um, decent at running the ball right about league average, not good at all at passing the ball, which obviously is expected and no juju anymore. So really you have two targets, three maybe to worry about in Deontay Johnson, who's you know a pretty solid emerging receiver, Claypool and then Najee Harris, Friar Muth, I'm not too concerned about. Defensively wise, I mean, you know, the defense is good, for the Steelers, they obviously have one of the best defensive lines in the league. Uh, currently, they're ranked 12th in EPA per play allowed. Um, so, you know, they're going to they're gonna be stingy. They're going to be a stingy unit, probably one of the better ones the Chargers have seen this year. I don't believe the Steelers really die, like disguise their looks too often. They're, they kind of just tell their players go win, and they have the guys to do it. Um, I'm not sure about the status of TJ Watt, but that's going to be huge, determining, you know, what type of game plan the Chargers have, because TJ Watt loves to line up on that right tackle, and Sean Morton's that right tackle. So if, you know, TJ Watt isn't playing, maybe the Chargers go with a more aggressive game plan where they take more shots down the field. Herbert holds onto the ball a little bit longer. But if he is playing, I do expect it to be another, you know, game of just quick passes, you know, Herbert throwing the ball under like 2.5 seconds, um, just because I think that's how Steely and Lombardi are trying to hide the weakness that is Storm Norton and Michael Schofield. All right. So that's going to wrap it up. Like I said, Steelers should be a win. This, this Sunday night, uh, it's a big game. Everyone's going to be watching. This is, I mean, like I said, this is a Chargers team that everyone had so, like, a lot of hopes for, especially after the four and one start. They haven't really done anything to back that up. I still believe in them. Playoff team, they need to show me that they can really be a Super Bowl contender before I, I appoint them in that category because right, right now they're just way too inconsistent on both sides of the ball, allowing too many explosive passes on defense, not having a lot of explosive plays on offense. There needs to be some type of cohesion. Injuries aren't the problem to me. It's just execution and better play calling all around. So just going to wrap it up. Thank you for watching until the end of the episode. With that, as always, bolt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.